When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Families have a lot going on. Let Ollie help manage the mental load with new cognitive health supplements for everyone four and up, like delicious Lolly Focus Pops or Lolly Mellow Pops for kids. And for parents, try three new Brainy Chews to help you focus, chill out, or get energized. Find these cognitive health buddies for the whole fam at ollie.com. That's O-L-L-Y.com. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. What's the best way to get started in the market? Download Andrew's ebook for free at stockmarketpdf.com. I love this podcast because it crushes your dreams of getting rich quick. They actually got me into reading stats for anything. You're tuned in to the Investing for Beginners podcast. Led by Andrew Sather and Dave Ahern. Step-by-step premium investing guidance for beginners. Your path to financial freedom starts now. Starts now. All right, folks, welcome to Investing for Beginners podcast. Tonight, we have episode 195. Tonight, Andrew and I are going to read some really good listener questions we got recently. So I'm going to go ahead and start reading the first one, and then we'll just do our usual give and take. So here we go. Hello, Andrew. Hello, Dave. Love your podcast. Learn so much. But I still have a problem investing in certain companies. There are many companies which have several different stocks available. How do I decide which one to buy? And where can I find a good resource which helps me find to understand the differences between these stocks? Recently, I got interested in Viacom. They got three different stocks, VIAC, VICA, and VIACP. What are those? Why do they have them? And how can I decide which one to get? Cheers, Timo. Andrew, what are your thoughts on Timo's really good question about Viacom. I know you know a little something about the company. I do know a little bit about them. Obviously, they had that huge blow up lately. Um, but before we get too off track on that, the reason why you see different tickers for different companies is because there can be different classes of shares for a company. And so it can be confusing because there could be like sometimes two classes, sometimes three classes. And all it, I guess the easiest way to think of it is a very common one would be where they split these classes into voting and non-voting shares. So let's take Viacom as as a good example here. The first two tickers he mentioned, VIAC and VIACA, those are the two classes of shares that one is voting, the other is non-voting. So class A is the VIACA. That one is a voting stock and class B is non-voting. So what does that mean, voting and non-voting? Basically, as part of running the company and, and the governance of a company, the shareholders will have the authority to vote on certain issues. So every company has like a CEO and then they have the board of directors and then you have the shareholders. 
And so the CEO reports to the board of directors and the board of directors will propose things and then the shareholders will vote on those things. And so, you know, obviously they're not voting on what's the CEO doing at 8 a.m. on Friday, but they'll, they'll vote for the, the bigger issues like, do we want our company to be bought out next year? You know, we have this offer from Google and they want to buy us out for $8 billion. Is that something we want to do? Okay, let's, let's hold it to a vote. Or maybe the board of directors decides that the CEO is not doing a good job. So maybe then they'll put that out on a vote and, and decide from there. So there, there's, there's just, there's major events that are voted on. And so that's why you'll have these classes where most stocks actually have just a single class where um, you have your shares and each share is one vote. But sometimes they'll, these companies will split it up. So they're almost like taking the power away from 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 uh, one group and, and going to the other. Another example of this would be, um, I think Snapchat was one of the more recent ones where basically the founders kept all of the voting power and... So the the public could buy one of the class of shares, but they couldn't vote on anything. So really, effectively, the founders kept all of the the voting power, and um, they could basically do whatever they want with the company. That's 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 what it comes down to. So you'll see those trade at slightly different values. You know, VIA, VIACA or VIAC, they'll trade at slightly different values to make up for that difference and in, in why the, their price slightly different. And that's going to be the big reason. And I think mostly unless you want to like make a fuss about it, usually your votes don't, don't get counted. Um, usually a lot of the votes will just kind of go through. Uh, if the board of directors recommends something, then the, the votes will just kind of go through. But for investors who are, kind of the more activist people, those managing billions of dollars, they can have huge sway in, in how things happen with the company. And um, the more shares you own, the the higher voting power you have, and the more you can influence what goes on at the company level. Yeah, that's a very interesting take. And I think uh, I agree with all those things you're saying. And that's those are great things to keep in mind because you will see these kinds of things pop up once in a while. One that, that really springs to mind for me is Berkshire. They have a, a Berkshire A and a Berkshire B shares. And most of us peasants uh, invest in the Berkshire B shares because they're far more affordable. The Berkshire A shares, I was just looking online and they're selling for a cool $417,000 per share. Uh, now, those are voting shares, so you do get a chance to vote for all the things that Andrew is talking about, whereas the B shares, which is what I own, is I don't get any share, any any say in what happens with the company, and I'm okay with that. But that's primarily the difference. And uh, anybody that's owned stocks like, like we do, you'll get notifications. I know that I get them every year that that they're saying you know hey you know we're we're announcing our voting for intuit or costco or whoever uh that the 
the voting is coming up and do you want to vote? And in some cases you can do it by phone. Some cases I think you can even go online and cast your vote. But, uh, like Andrew said, most of the time it's, it's, you know, for us, for us small folk, it doesn't really make much impact, but it's really more impactful when you start talking about the, the big money managers and the activists that are trying to get involved and get seats on the, on the board or have some sort of say in what happens with the company. So I guess, uh, could you tell us a little bit about Viacom, the company, and what you what your thoughts are on kind of what's going on with that company? They, they were in the news recently too, weren't they? Yeah, I mean, <laughs> they had basically one of these fund manager guys. He was somebody who was managing his own money, and he was getting caught up with these swap contracts. And so basically what he did was... He was basically able to make a hugely levered bet, which means he was he was basically able to because you know uh, usually if you're borrowing money to buy a stock, the broker is going to make sure you have uh, enough money as collateral in order to you know if if the trade goes the wrong way when you're when you're trading stocks, uh, borrowing other people's money, um, obviously. The wins are magnified, but so are the losses. And so if the losses outpace how much you can actually physically pay for, then whoever made that trade for you is going to be in trouble. So these brokers will force you to to put up money as collateral. There's a there's some loopholes around that, and we saw exactly how the aftermath of that can happen with what happened in Viacom. And so you had a guy with a fund and he was doing these swap contracts. And so basically, the banks that were involved in this transaction, they didn't know basically how much collateral he had. So he was able to lever way more than is, than is usual and, and is, is like kind of prudent. And so once they kind of figured out that this trade was going bad, there was a panic. And once all of his positions got liquidated, you saw the, the, the price of Viacom just completely cratered. And it was like, it was, it was a pretty, I think it was like a, a week or two weeks of just huge loss followed by huge loss followed by huge loss. And it was as these positions were unraveling because he, he was a big, he was a big, um, a big billionaire. And it was, I think the fastest any billionaires lost their entire fortune. It was a huge deal. I, you know, I'm not an expert at what happened by any stretch. I, I looked at Viacom after the crash to see if maybe it was there some potential value there. And so that's kind of what happened. Um, and it's scary because we don't know how, how much more of these kind of swap contracts are, are, are still in play. I mean, we know, we know like if you ever look at a annual report for a bank, they will, they will talk about how they have their different default swaps, credit default swaps and derivatives and everything. But, the accounting for it's kind of weird so stuff like this can happen and it's kind of scary yeah it can be it could be very scary and i'm sure for for the gentleman that was involved and the people involved with them was probably not a fun period of time for them <laughs> by any stretch uh, it didn't get all the publicity that uh, the whole gamestop fiasco did but it certainly had a big impact on some companies as well as some different banks and Deutsche Bank uh, really got some hot water because they were one of the companies that were allowing uh, they were one of the banks that were allowing this gentleman to to 
execute all these trades and we're kind of deciding to bank a lot of those, those trades with money that he really didn't have. And so that got them in some hot water. I think the two people that were involved, I think lost their jobs because of that. So it's uh yeah, it's uh, shows you the, I guess the, the perils of investing with leverage and how dangerous that can be from time to time for sure. So I guess a question to follow up with that is, what do you think is a good resource for him to, or anybody to try to find out more about kind of these different kinds of stocks or, or companies? It's, it, it is interesting because every stock can do it a little bit differently. So like you could, you were talking about the whole Berkshire thing where they have a bear, a shares and B shares and a huge price difference, right? A couple hundred dollars versus hundreds of thousands. Right. Um, And you'll have these weird things too, where they'll say, you know, if you have B shares, then you have the voting rights of 10 A shares and those are called super voting shares. So it's, it can get really complex. Um, What you would want to look to research would be the proxy and it's uh, something we've covered on on our blog. So you can go einvestingforbeers.com. You can search for it. And it, it's basically, I I believe the broker... So like I never kind of look... I kind of ignore a lot of the email I get from my brokers. Just because, I don't know. I did, That's just yeah. something I do. Uh, so Good I don't up. know if they send proxies through email. Um, but I know you can look it up on the SEC website. And so in the proxy, it'll show you... They will disclose, you know, unless somebody's doing credit default swaps uh, or these crazy derivatives, they will show who owns what. So, like, if you look up a proxy for Berkshire, you'll see, okay, Buffett owns 30% of this company. And so they'll list, like, people who have more than 5% ownership in a company. They'll also tell you which which uh, classes of shares there are, and they'll tell you which ones are voting and which ones are not voting. And like, if there's any special rules with special voting, super votes, whatever. Um, Another resource, you could just go to Google and that's at least how I figure out what class is what. Cause you know, via, via C that was kind of, they didn't put B in there. Um, We had to Google to figure that part out, but yeah, that's, that's the two resources would be Google. And then the proxy statement will show you the details. Yeah, that's, that's a great, Great resource. And the proxy is, uh, is kind of an interesting document to look at. It's not something that gets talked about a whole lot, but the cool thing about the proxies, like Andrew was saying, is it kind of gives you a little more flavor about who runs the company and who owns the company. And sometimes it's not always the people running the company that own the company. And other things that can be interesting too is to see who some of the bigger owners of the company are. And sometimes it's family members. Sometimes it's boards of directors. And sometimes it's other funds like Blackstone or Vanguard, for example. They may own uh, a big chunk of the company. And so those kinds of things are just interesting to know. It doesn't always necessarily mean much, but it's it's an interesting tidbit. But there's also information in, in the proxies about how much the board gets paid as well as the executives that run the company. And so you can kind of see some of their incentives and see what drives them to, to get paid. And 
So, and those sometimes can help you understand a little bit of why the company is making some of the decisions that they do, particularly if there are decisions that are either not well received on Wall Street or from us, where we don't think as an investor, we don't necessarily agree with why the company is doing what they're doing. And you can see sometimes that the the incentives are what drives the the performance. It's something uh, Charlie Munger likes to say: is show me, show me the incentive, and I'll show you the result. Because he he's reasoned out that the reason people will do things is because of the incentive. So um, that's a that's a great resource, and it, it's free. It's on sec.gov, and they've changed their format of their website recently. And so there is actually a little link to the bottom right when you look at the page where it says proxy and you just hit that and it'll open up and you can go right to the to the actual proxy. So it makes it real easy for you to look at. Uh, they they could be long, uh, they could be dry and they could be a little bit technical. So you don't need to read every single word. It's not like the 10K per se. There's and there's usually pretty good um they usually do a good job of outlining where different sections are and breaking it down so you can kind of search through what you're actually needing to find as opposed to having to read through 87 pages of stuff you don't want to know. I, no, I, I won't I won't read through that. I'll usually just look for the ownership section. Right. Yeah. And I, you know, I think if 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 you're really looking if if is this a practical solution for me? I think if you're looking at if you're playing in like the S&P 500 kind of game most of those are, are pretty standard but you'd be surprised sometimes but like as you if you really like to swim around the very small companies then i think looking at the proxies definitely something you should do because sometimes you'll see um companies that own other companies and they could have a huge ownership and so those interests might not align if one company owns most of this other company why would you want to buy into that and so that's something to keep in mind yeah that's a great point very good point and now a word from our sponsor thanks nordvpn for sponsoring today's episode are you listening to this while connected to public wi-fi help make your connection more secure with nordvpn the nordvpn can help protect your data which in today's world is of a heightened importance The NordVPN, a virtual private network, helps protect your data while you are online. It is also quick and with only one click to enter. The app is very easy to use and simple to install. Heck, even me with all my technical challenges can set it up easily. I use the NordVPN every single day. And with all the internet browsing I do to investigate companies, it's fast, it's reliable, and it's safe. It helps me access all my sites quickly and easily. Go to NordVPN.com backslash IFB or use the coupon code IFB to get a two-year plan plus one additional month with a huge discount. And now back to our show. All right, let's move on to the next question. So I have Andrew, Dave, I would like to start out by thanking both of you for the great insight you provide beginners in investing. I started investing in January, 2020 and immediately purchased the VTI and continued to use it religiously while we were searching companies. My question is, with the possibility of a market correction in the near future due to the state of valuations at the point they are currently, how much, air quote, dry powder would you recommend keeping on hand for when good companies go on sale? I currently dollar cost average approximately $1,000 per month into a 90-10 split of stocks and bonds. 
but I want to be able to take advantage of a correction when it happens. I look forward to hearing your thoughts and appreciate all the past and future advice you provide our readers and listeners. Thanks, Chris. So, Andrew, what are your thoughts on Chris's great question? I would be curious um, to know what kind of timeline Chris is on. You know, is he on the the 10-year track or the the 40-year track? It's tough because I, I... I know it's it's really fun to talk about how you know as an investor you were able to wait for a stock market crash and you were able to back up the truck and you bought a bunch of stocks when they were down and beaten up and and you you made a huge success. I think reality is those those stories are are so few and far between. You know, something that kind of pops into my head it makes me think of like um, those big fitness challenges. Have you ever seen like The Biggest Loser? Yes. Oh, yes. So you know they'll they'll make this huge deal about it, but as soon as they get off the show, they they don't they don't continue with that, right? Because so, like right. when you see it on TV, it seems like it's this big event. If if you actually live it out, it's a it's a daily process. It's a lifestyle, and so I think investing is a very similar way. You, you want to have opportunity it's it's such a it's such an oxymoron it's such a paradox because it's like okay you want to have dry powder so that you can really attack when stocks get beaten up but in order to compound your money you need to have your money in the market instead of having it sit as dry powder where it's not making anything and so depending on how much dry powder you're you're holding there at what point do you call that trying to just time the market because we have a possibility of a market correction in the in the near future because of valuations, but it's been that way for years. And so I, I have some ideas on when I look at my portfolio, there are certain things that I have stocks that are almost like dry powder to me, but actually keeping dry powder as cash that's not earning a return, if if I'm looking at the very, very long term. I just want to put it to work and I want to, I want to let, let it do its job rather than trying to play, play like I have a, a, a magic eight ball or, or, you know, like I, I just know the future because you could be keeping that dry powder. It could stay dry for another decade. It could stay dry for another decade. And that's, that's the hard part. And I think it really depends. I like the question that Andrew asked when he first started kind of thinking about this question from Chris was where, where on the timeline is Chris? If he's, if he's in my camp or he's on the older side of things and he's closer to the finish line, then that changes the, the equation. If he's more like Andrew where he's got a 40 year runway, then that changes the equation as well. So uh, there's, there's different aspects. Uh, the other things you have to take into consideration too is where are you with having some sort of emergency fund and where are you with any sort of debt that you may have? And so some of those things have a bearing on, on kind of how you think about doing something like that. Uh, you know, I know for me, it's something where I, I kept about 500 to 750 bucks just kind of sitting around waiting for something like this to happen. And I'd only been doing that for about a year or so. So it wasn't something that I actively started doing. It was more of a situation where I may have been struggling a month or two to find something to buy. So instead of buying something, I just set it aside and waited for it. 
that could be something you consider. But the other part of it too is like Andrew was saying is that the, the power of compounding doesn't take effect until you actually put it to work. And so, uh, unfortunately savings accounts are terrible <laughs> for saving money as far as setting it aside and getting in that habit of saving money. Great. Perfect. Those are awesome. But as far as like actually air quote, putting your money to work, they suck uh, because the interest rates are so brutal right now. Even if you go to an online bank, they're still putrid. So they're not a great place for you to store lots of money. And none of us are Warren Buffett and we don't have $139 billion just sitting around in cash waiting to pull the trigger on something. But he's also got, I don't know, three or 400 billion in the market right now, making a, a cool 25%, uh, you know, a month, a year. So he's doing great, but we're not all in that situation. So for us average Joes, you have different choices to make and different ways to go about doing it. And I guess my, I guess my idea is to kind of follow what I was talking about is maybe take one of these months and set aside a thousand bucks and then just everything else you just keep putting into the market. And then when something comes along and you have an opportunity to do it, because one of the things about these opportunities that we're talking about, for example, what happened in March of last year. So in March, 2020, when everything went to hell in a handbasket because of COVID, a didn't all happen at once. It kind of did, but it kind of didn't. And it didn't take, it didn't rebound immediately either. So you had time to get into some of these things that were happening. And I know some of the companies that I bought during that time period, uh, have done really, really well since that period. And I, you know, I kind of long for that because it was, you know, kind of nice, but it, everything that preceded it obviously was not nice. And it's, it, you know, I feel guilty for saying that. So, but I guess my point with all that is, is that the recovery is not going to be overnight and it's not going to be immediate. So you're going to have targets, if you will, that you can take advantage of for, a, for a good period of time. Uh, I would argue that during the great financial crisis and, 2007 through 2009, there was lots of opportunities to find great investments during that period that didn't evaporate in a single day or a single month that it went on for years. So you had plenty of opportunity to buy into companies that may have been distressed because of the market. The turnaround with this one was, was quicker for sure. But I guess the air quote normal recessions or downturns in a market generally take a little bit longer. So you have more time to work into something like a Microsoft if it, if there's a correction. So I guess that would be, I guess, a couple ideas I have along those lines. You could also, if you have a balanced portfolio, so, you know, maybe you have some parts of your portfolio that's a little more cyclical, you know, and then maybe you have other parts that are a little more defensive. You could, Look at your defensive positions almost like it's dry powder in a sense. And, you know, one of the best times to sell a defensive position would be when everybody's panicking. And a lot of people flee to defensive stocks. We saw that in um, the end of March, early April in 2020. Everything that had to do with a grocery store went up big. And so that would have been a great time to 
both sell high and buy low. Um, and of course, in theory, it's, it's, it's a good idea. So that would be every situation is different. Obviously every company, every specific company, whether you're buying or selling is going to be a little bit different. So you want to keep those things into mind and always think of your long-term goals too. But that's another idea. If if you're trying to think of, of, of having like dry powder, um, that could be one way to do it, uh, you know. And and to to kind of follow up on that, just one more second. You could have situations too where, I, I, when I've been looking at at companies in my portfolio, I've I've changed a little bit how I how I s- perceive them. So you could have companies that are not performing like you expected they would, but they could also not be completely dropping the ball. And it's and it's 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 pretty common for companies to to stumble at one time or another, and so you know as you look at a company and if you if you look at a stock that you you used to want to hold for forty years, it's it's done things or it's performed or it's changed its business model, whatever it is, things have changed where it's not looking like it's going to be a forty year plan for it anymore. Maybe it's kind of like a stock that you have as dry powder in the sense that like it hasn't done anything to say, man, this thing's a sell, but maybe it's not your favorite anymore. And so when things do sell off, maybe that's something you could roll off of and and capitalize on something that's that's down a little bit more. If if you're long term and, and if you're really in for long term to to sell something that that's off like 5% to buy something that was off like 50%. That could be a good trade over the long term too. But it all depends again on on the the actual companies. But those are some ideas for kind of taking that that approach of wanting to take advantage of when things go on sale while still staying invested um and getting that compounding. That's that's a great advice and I, I like those ideas and that does that kind of go in along with the lines of I guess really kind of understanding your portfolio and where each company is in its, in its, I guess, life cycle. And I guess also the idea that not every single company that we're going to invest in is going to be an Amazon that's going to be just an upward trend forever. There are going to be peaks and valleys and plateaus and all those kinds of things. And so is that, is that kind of things you just have to take into consideration when you're thinking about all this? Yeah, I think you got to take it all into consideration, and you got to be careful that you're not just selling because you freak out. I think it's easy to get buyer's remorse too, right? So you you want to yeah. make sure you're not just turning over your whole portfolio every year just because you're justifying it. So do it in moderation, but if if over time you can kind of make these 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 observations and after enough time has passed maybe you realize okay things really have changed and then that's where you can start to execute on some of these ideas yeah that's that's very good all right so i guess a few other things i guess i'm thinking about with the whole dry powder thing it andrew was was bringing up some great ideas as far as liquidating part of your portfolio or, or looking at those as opportunities to use those to kind of be your dry powder 
in storage and he brought up something that I think is, is a really good idea to think about. And that's, is the, the idea of some of the stocks that you buy are not always going to be the forever, you know, the hold forever kind of thing. And especially if you're looking at maybe some bond funds, some of those things could be things that when the market turns, those could be things that you could liquidate to use, to get into other other opportunities. And I also know that for me, as somebody that likes to invest in, in banks, for example, when the market really started to correct in March of 2020, one of the sectors that really got hammered was the, the banking industry. And some of those companies lost 20, 30, 40, 50% of their value in a month. And some of it was justified, but a lot of it wasn't. And in hindsight, almost none of it was because there was a huge fear of the market turning and all these people defaulting on their loans, on their mortgages, on their business loans, all those things. There was this huge fear. And so these banks were setting aside billions of dollars to cover potential losses for these loans defaulting. And for the most part, none of that came to pass, in part because Congress got their butts in gear and actually did something for a change, but that's a whole other conversation. But they were able to help put money into the system. Then there was the whole Fed and what they did. So there was a lot of reaction from the government, and they were able to help kind of fill the gap and allow banks, for example, to stay afloat. Plus, there was also the banking industry rightfully ranked, uh, ranked. They rightfully corrected some of the big problems that occurred during the great financial crisis. And one of those was making sure that they had enough cash on hand to handle any sort of downturns like what just happened. So, uh, for those of you not familiar with this, they did, they started doing what's called stress tests, which basically means that they would look at the most horrible, horrific kinds of, I don't know, uh, scenarios you could ever imagine. Uh, I don't know if pandemic was on there, but, uh, certainly there are horrible things. And they tried to predict whether a bank would have enough money on hand to handle any sort of financial crisis that would occur because of these events. And they rank these banks based on how the stress tests go, whether the banks are, are liquid enough to handle these stress tests. So anyway, because of that, the banks were a lot more capitalized, which means that they had a lot more money to handle any sort of shock to the system, which is what happened in their new pandemic. So, because of that, a company like, I'll just throw out their ally, for example, dropped in price from around $32 a share to about $13 a share. It's now trading around 40, 49 bucks a share. I was lucky enough to buy it on the way down and was able to benefit from that. And it wasn't a, it wasn't a dry powder situation. It was a situation where I was like, Oh, hey, I'm, I need to make investments this month. And hey, this is a great opportunity because when, it, it kind of goes back to that selling on fear. When you look at the financials of the company, everything looks fine. Nothing has changed just because the stock price has gone down. The earnings and the balance sheet and all the things that made a company like Ally a good investment were still there. 
but the stock price had, had tanked big time. Now, of course, was the, was there a lot of fear? Absolutely. Was there, was I scared? Yeah, I was nervous, but I also realized that this could be a great opportunity. And I guess kind of to use Monish Pabrai's favorite phrase, uh, heads I win, tails I don't lose that much. So at $13 a share, I'm not going to lose out that much. And if it goes up, that's great for me. And if I lose, I, you know, it's okay. I lost and I can learn from it. But I guess my point with all this is that part of the, part of the investing philosophy and part of the investing mantra of continually putting money into the market keeps you as a habit, putting money into the market. And when things happen like this, you can take advantage of those situations because you've already got that habit established. If it's a, if it's a situation where you're just hoarding all your money until something goes south, then yeah, you could pile into a great company at a really good price at that one time and you could make a lot of money. But what if you choose wrong? What happens if you make the rad, a bad choice? Now you're screwed. And now you got all this time to wait before it happens again. Whereas if you're continually putting money to work, then it helps smooth out any of those choices and it just makes it a lot easier. And I guess that's, I guess another thought to think about when you're investing and, and trying to anticipate possible downturns in the market. Very, very well done. I think that was a perfect way to give us a tangible example of, of how that can look and how we could approach it. All right, folks. Well, with that, we are going to wrap up our conversation for today. I wanted to thank everybody for taking the time to send us those fantastic questions. Keep them coming. We really enjoyed doing this, and we hope you guys are getting some great takeaways from all this. So without any further ado, I'm going to go ahead and sign us off. Go out there and invest with a margin of safety, emphasis on the safety. Have a great week. We'll talk to you all next week. We hope you enjoyed this content. Seven Steps to Understanding the Stock Market shows you precisely how to break down the numbers in an engaging and readable way with real-life examples. Get access today at stockmarketpdf.com. Until next time, have a prosperous day. The information contained is for general information and educational purposes only. It is not intended for a substitute for legal, commercial, and or financial advice from a licensed professional. Review our full disclaimer at einvestingforbeginners.com.